Yeah. 
you just heard Crystal Ann and Allison Hell from the uh, Fantastic Annihilator record, Allison Hell. This is the Requiem Metal Podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Jason. And, of course, we uh, ended last week's podcast by talking about how um, we would elect, I guess, uh, a certain record from the, the kind of Canadian thrash era into our, our kind of own bizarre Hall of Fame. And this is the uh, this is the record that we chose. And it's a it's a strange one. Um, it kind of caught you and I off off guard. It's not a band where um, we've been listening to for a long time. Within the last couple of years, yeah, really. I mean, I've, the name was always kind of synonymous in the thrash circle, especially um, you know the record came out in '89, mm-hmm. recorded in '88, and kind of sat around for a year. But that's like the tail end of the thrash scene, really. Yeah. And I always heard the name, and I thought the name was stupid, and I thought yeah. the logo was stupid, and the album cover was stupid, and I never heard them. Yeah, yeah, it was just, you know, like we talked about uh, last week with bands like Razor and an Exciter and, and things like, you know, sometimes the simplicity of the names, you know, even Anvil to some extent, like, oh, yeah. these were just, you know, bands that I kind of... Uh, didn't steer clear of, but I definitely didn't go out of my way to like discover and find. Well, when you're listening to like you know dismembering and tombed and all that stuff, you just kind of discredit this stuff because that's probably silly and old and sure, whatever. Yeah, and it's weird. I don't know. And, and Mark and I talk about this often. How you know in our later years of metal, it, it allows us the opportunity to sort of go back and, and listen to the stuff that we sort of missed out on, and and that seems to be almost the entire like Canadian scene, really. Yeah, except know? for like Cryptopsy and a handful of other. Yeah, places. exactly. You know, but uh, this <clears throat> this is a uh, I guess an album that you know, depending on who you ask, there's some people who who worship at the altar of it because of you know Jeff Waters, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about him in a second. Uh, there's some people who think that this is you know just uh, an exercise in guitar shredding technique, and, and they don't really kind of get into the the heart of the album. But I, I think there's a there's a lot you know going on, and there's a lot of like really fantastic things that kind of amalgamate all these different aspects of thrash uh, oh, yeah. that were going on in America. I mean, it's, a, and, it's a great way to like end the scene almost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a good stamp for that. And this, I mean, this record uh, sold 250,000 copies you know, on Roadrunner. It was up to the date of whenever the liner notes for the CD were written, I think in 2002 or something. That was the highest selling Roadrunner Road release up to that point. Which is crazy to think about, yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean, because um, they, they really had never had much of... Uh, they toured with Priest, but I believe that was in Europe. Mm-hmm. And they've never really penetrated Canada or the U.S. market. It's always been Japan and Europe. Now, I wonder, I, I, wonder, I think that statistic that you said, I think that's for a Roadrunner debut. I think because oh, I was it. I, I would imagine because there's there's got to be a part of me even though I know like I think Nickelback has since like you know is now the out the the selling uh, you know Roadrunner album I think Bloody Kisses that that record alone I think had to have sold more than two hundred fifty thousand. Oh, this sell this says uh, two hundred fifty thousand copies worldwide. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Becoming Roadrunner's biggest seller to date. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's crazy. I I would have thought Bloody Kisses would have sold more than that, but. You know, because that's a Roadrunner record. You know what I mean? Just because that had like such, yeah, kind of mainstream recognition. But well, that, that shows how little metal actually sells in the yeah. compared to like pop records. I yeah, guess. it freaks me out sometimes <laughs> to think about that. But uh, you know, I so I guess you know you can you can argue with whether or not this is the crowning achievement of the the thrash metal scene. I don't know if that's why we elected into the Hall of Fame. You know, I think that you know Slaughter and some of those other bands we played were, were you know had their own awesomeness in their own sort of ways yeah. but i think we want to highlight this record because this is one that has such uh, you know a lot of unique dynamic things happening all over the place um 
you know, and it's one that we recently kind of got into. And so it's like, we are kind of jazzed to, to sort of spotlight it, I guess. So. Oh, yeah. And I think this is kind of everybody, well, I think most Annihilator fans will agree this is probably like, yeah, they never really hit this peak again. No, there's, had, there's like really bits and pieces throughout Scattered Records. Yeah. yeah. But so tell us, I guess, a little, you've been doing quite a bit of research about, I guess, the oh, origins nice. of the band and, and, and some well, of Well, uh, yeah, 1984 um, from in Ottawa. Ottawa. Where yeah. they originally from, I believe they moved to Vancouver. Um, later on, correct? Yeah, after uh, most of the guys quit, he wrote, relocated. Jeff Waters, the guitar player, relocated to Vancouver, the so, West Coast. Yeah, Waters has basically been kind of like the the Chuck Schuldiner of of this band. You know, it's been rotating lineup since since the beginning. Yeah, and there was two previous vocalists. Uh, I don't know if this stuff, if they you know perform live or this was just demo recordings or what. But before the actual recording lineup for Alice in Hell, which had. Uh, Randy Rampage of DOA fame, okay. uh, punk punk hardcore. Fame. Yeah, I mean a really fantastic hardcore band from like uh, he was in the band from an eighty and eighty one, and uh, he was the bass player for for DOA along with Chuck Biscuits was oh, yeah. the original drummer for DOA and uh, Joey Shithead on vocals and guitar. Nice, nice. And Chuck Biscuits, ironically, went on not only to Danzig but went on to a band that I kind of love and adore, a band called Sugartooth. And uh, he was also in Black Flag for a while. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. So, but I think the this this kind of shows I think how like inter- interwoven those scenes really were. Without it seems like as soon as you hit a certain peak playing hardcore, you would either go like you know what um, DRI and a lot of these other bands yeah. did, and do that kind of crossover style, even like Suicidal Tendencies or COC or, or yeah or jump you know completely jump right over. And uh, a lot of people actually even. Um, uh, Waters kind of says Rampage isn't a great vocalist, but he's got a lot of attitude. Oh, tons of emotion and attitude and, and snarls and stuff. Uh, yeah, that up are... to this is the only vocalist I actually like from the whole discography that I've heard so far. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I just think a lot of it's pretty rough. He's got, uh, I mean, the weird like falsetto stuff that we heard in, yeah. in Alice in Hell. Yeah. And then he's got like almost this like uh, this Milla uh, Petroza kind of delivery. I wrote, I wrote on my notes Millie snarl. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I mean, there's like this this uh, kind of like proto death metal stuff happening yeah. in it as well vocally. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of Bobby Blitz from Overkill type oh, yeah. stuff going on too. That and I don't know exactly attitude. who did the vocal because if you watch the video for Alice in Hell, it shows Jeff Waters doing all the high pitch stuff uh-huh. and doing that. I know he, I know he does now. the backing vocals on the record, so it might yeah, be so him on the he, record. They show too. him doing it in the video. I don't know if, you know what the the differentiation, like the correlation, too, yeah. but um, yeah. And also, I learned a new a new uh, term: Teutonic thrash metal. Oh. You heard that term before? Teutonic, well, German. German, the, the Germanic, but yeah, I, I thought Teutonic was some kind of sound I always, thing. I always heard but Teutonic really, associated with the Scorpions that they were like the innovators of, I guess, okay. the, the Teutonic, well, Teutonic thrash, which sure. I've never even heard the term. It's kind of ridiculous, but yeah. it goes in with the, the Bay Area and all that. And these guys were kind of tail end of the whole scene, so I can kind of you definitely hear all that stuff coming. Lots of oh. you know Exodus, Metallica. I said uh, Peace Creator, Cells, Slayer, Peace yeah, Cells, era, Megadeth stuff of Megadeth that you'll hear well. throughout the record. You know, and and you have a cool, cool uh, little story about him himself, Jeff Waters, and kind of how he got into music a little bit. <laughs> yeah, his, uh, I was watching a bunch of interviews with him. He's, I guess, he's um, sponsored by Gibson right now, mm-hmm. so he does a lot of these like little snippet interviews or whatever online. And uh, well, yeah, he's so he's like he's the guy's totally clean and sober, really like gregarious and you know good shape. He's kind of like the the George Lynch of thrash or something. Canadian thrash, as, yeah, <laughs> getting in good shape. But uh, yeah, like at, at age seven, his folks basically like got him guitar lessons, so he started learning classical and jazz, and uh, he was really kind of progressing well and showing a lot of um, you know that he was this was like, like something he might want to pursue in his life. Yeah. 
And his folks were like, oh, yeah, if, as soon as they heard about the whole, like, the metal thing, when he started getting into that, they're like, oh, we'll, we'll put up with you in an apartment. We'll put you, you know, take you to whatever school you want to go to if you want to pursue classical or jazz or, sure. or whatnot. And uh, he uh, he chose the side of metal, but the whole deciding factor, which I thought was pretty funny, was um, the day the Defenders of the Faith came, uh, Defenders of the Faith came out in '84. Yeah, uh, it was either go to school, finish your math exam, and graduate, or stand in line to get Defenders of Faith. And he got Defenders of yeah, Faith. Clearly, a, a metal and warrior. He like uh, what was it like six years later, seven years later, he ended up touring with Priest yeah, as well, which is on the Painkiller tour. And he's basically uh, he's kept. He's made money since he started Annihilator. Yeah, he's never had to t- you know take day jobs or whatever, and it's just based on that whole like uh, that ravenous kind of like Japanese and European crowd. Sure, yeah, because I don't think I I mean every so often you'll see like Annihilator playing shows in our area, but it's in very small venues and it's they're kind of one off things. Yeah, too. it's it's kind of bizarre. And uh, one other story that we we got actually after we recorded last the the last show and talked about Exciter is I got uh, a copy of. Uh, heavy metal maniacs from Exciter, the, mm-hmm. the, or is it Heavy Metal Rising or Heavy Metal, heavy metal Maniac? Yeah, I think I was right. Yeah. And uh, they talk about on there how um, the at one of the very first Exciter shows, there were these two like geeked out fans that like kept wanting to talk to him, and and one of the guys was you know young Jeff Waters who ends up remastering that record years later and uh, doing the liner notes and stuff. Yeah, right? and so it's pretty cool, but. Uh, yeah, so back to the to the actual record, you know, once once they get their kind of act together, as Mark said, you know, they record this thing in 88 and it doesn't get put out until September 89 on Roadrunner. So you've got Waters on bass and guitar on here. You got Randy Rampage um, and then you got Ray Hartsman uh, on drums and there's not really he's kind of the uh louis clemente of of canadian drummers or something you know he there's he's not, not bad but he's just he's pretty stock he's no frills yeah i mean he's pretty stock but i mean it, there's nothing bad about his drumming it's just there's nothing like super exciting nothing uh dave lombardo-esque or, or hoglin or you know even you know well and then live we've got uh anthony greenham on guitar and uh wayne darley on bass uh, sweet yeah sweet <laughs> Yeah, and uh, you can get a copy of Alice in Hell. Actually, they have it repackaged with, uh, was it Never Neverland? Yeah, two from the vault. Yeah, from the, on the Roadrunner. So, you know, it is available, uh, unlike some of the Canadian stuff that we played last week, which is really super expensive, like the Sacrifice and some of the Razor stuff. It's hard to get. But obviously what you heard there, Crystal Ann, is as Mark was kind of talking about, he's very uh, very <laughs> well-trained. Yeah, there's yeah. this classical guitar. Uh, you know, and it kind of has that uh, epic thrash opening kind of thing. Vibe, yeah, like you know? battery or yeah. you know, uh, fight fire with fire or something like that. But um, you know, Alice in Hell, like the the opening minute or so before any vocals come in there. I mean, I really feel like he's kind of like showing like a lot of his techniques off. You know, he's like oh, almost yeah. running you through the gamut of what you're going to hear thematically throughout the record. All these different kind of melodic styles, shred styles, technical styles. Just well, straight thrash. The styles. way the the album's book ended with that, you know, start out with this, this classical piece, and then it ends with uh, Human Insecticide, which is the most a furious total song. Burner yeah. shredder. I mean, the whole album kind of builds momentum as we go. Sure, yeah, and uh, there's a lot of things happening in in the middle of this song. I mean, it's got a pretty epic guitar solo there. You know, we were pointing out that. You know, you heard some Adrian Smith, Iron Maiden stuff. I hear mm-hmm. kind of, you know, Queensryche kind of stuff. It's across the map. I mean, he was, uh, he's like a kind of a, a voracious uh, sponge for mm-hmm. all these other guitar players. And apparently, what was, I think it was, um, uh, I know there's a lot of Priest mm-hmm. was one of the big influences, but basically a lot of classic rock as well. Yeah, I But as he's that. gone, as he's gone on in his career, he's really embraced his kind of niche, you know, area or, you know, in the, in the metal scene and really 
um, have gotten a lot of accolades and become friends with a lot of like extreme metal acts. And, yeah. You know, he's had, uh, you know, Mike Amat and Jesper Stromblad from In Flames and um, Lex Alaha. I think it was the metal Jordan record Bowden. from like 80 or from about 2002. Uh-huh. We got a lot of guests on there, but he's very like, you know, revered in the whole scene. And I always, I always hear him kind of held up like that. And, I never knew who he was. And he, and, and whenever I read about the guy, you know, it almost, he almost had like a, a Steve Vai, Satriani, Lynch kind of aura to him in that like he was probably respected more from guitar players than he was from like music critics or something Mm -hmm. and i think you know that's maybe why i was leery of of checking it out because i didn't know if it would just be like sort of guitar you know mass masturbatory kind of stuff and shred records he's a great he's a great lead player but he's also a good songwriter yeah which is is kind of a that's the surprising part about hearing this record is you know it's it's you know his guitar style i wrote down is if you took like a george lynch type kind of player from like 80s stuff but then put him into like a thrash speed metal band mold Mm -hmm. you know because he has all those sort of flourishing techniques he's not sloppy in any kind of way and he's flashy but not in an Ingve Malmstream like really empty kind of lifeless sort of way no he picks his notes carefully I think yeah and he's able to like keep that thrash groove always growing going and that sort of momentum and and uh you know, and that's that's what makes this uh, such a oh, cool yeah. record. I mean, there there was uh, another interviewer that I was listening to uh, with Waters where he was talking about you know all that classical and jazz training really got his left hand really you know dexterous so he can move around the neck. Mm-hmm. But he had, it took him a while to get his chops down for his picking hand, and he was like, you know, all he had to do is like listen to Kerry King inside now and figured out how to do the down the, the, picking, the, you the know? speed pick stuff. Yeah. yeah, and you'll hear a lot of that in the later part of the record. A lot it's, of it's. I mean, it's. I've, I've tried playing along with it, and it's like your hands about ready to fall. It's like a mortal type speed, but you're, it's all palm muted. Yeah, know? yeah. I remember uh, Grand Corcoon, who's who's done a few shows with us from time to time. You know, when when we were kind of playing around in high school, and he was trying to learn all the Slayer songs, and I mean, he was just like it's it's not hard it's just it's not hard note playing or anything it's just it's speed it's just speed it's, it's your picking it's, hand it's which something the, that's not uh, developed yeah know? that's that's one of the hardest things to do yeah. and for jeff it was interesting because he's left-handed so he he was better <laughs> better playing that stuff and whereas like the right hand speed picking stuff was yeah. way harder for him because he didn't use his right hand he's as much flip the guitar on yeah there you go like well, hendrix there, so. have you heard of uh joel mckeever uh, doesn't ring a bell. He's a uh, he's a writer that does a lot of like metal slash rock history type stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, he's he's not necessarily held in really high regard. He's not like an Ian Christie or something as far as being a, an expert. He's I think he kind of runs the line of being um, you know kind of one of those guys that throws out a book every year based on some you know unauthorized history of Slayer or whatever. Uh-huh. Uh, but he ranked uh, Jeff Waters number three greatest metal guitarist ever on wow. his one hundred greatest guitarist list. Who did he have uh, above him? Did you? Uh, number one was Mustaine, uh-huh. and number two was uh, John Patrice Patrice Patrucci from Dream Theater. Patrice, yeah. so. He's okay. And then Zach Wild uh, was was number four. Dimebag, Iomi. I mean, the list is kind of screwed yeah. up. It sounds like uh, a uh, a metal edge or list or something <laughs> like in, yeah. in some weird way. But. Yeah, I mean like like Trey from Morbid Angel beat out Hetfield, and I mean it was just a weird. I don't know how I didn't read the books. So I don't know how he justified his choices, but yeah. it was cool to see you know Waters that, that Waters was respected. Yeah, and I mean certainly he blows my mind. Uh, I know you know this is a record that we actually got. Um, 
and I remember we were driving to a keel hall show in Lansing. It was you, myself, and Grand Corcoon, and we were uh, we were driving, and we put this record on, and it was the first time you guys had heard it, and I think I had heard it, and I had listened to it once, and I kind of was like, oh, this is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I think I had told you something like the previous week. I was like, yeah, you actually, you should check out some Annihilator. They're not bad. And well, so we, just, we've been talking about the name for years yeah. on the podcast. Like I put them in the same regard as Nuclear Assault or something. Yeah, like, exactly. Totally, just the a band like we you know, we don't know much about. You know, and uh, by about the third or fourth song, I mean we were you know, just kept turning up and turning up. And oh yeah, I mean before we did the show, I listened to it six or eight times. Yeah, you know, straight through. It's a fantastic record. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so let's get back to the record. We've got uh, got a trio of tunes. Um, now I wrote this down, and, and maybe it's just because of the momentum thing. But um, if there was a weaker part of the record, this is it. But it's not like these songs are weak songs necessarily. It's just they're not as strong as the opening track and the the, the furious end. They're of not the, as complex the record. either, yeah. especially like um, uh, "Burns Like a Buzzsaw Blade" is more vocally driven, I think, mm-hmm. than, than guitar driven. It's not as complicated as "Alice in Hell." Yeah, sure. and it's more like a like early "Kill 'Em All," like just sort of primitive, yeah. you know, kind of thing. A rapid lot of Exodus ish kind yeah. of riffs and. And uh, the song we're going to start off with is uh, WYTD, which is Welcome to Your Death. And uh, this has a big priest kind of feel to it. Uh, a lot of new wave of British heavy metal kind of stuff going on. Uh, but you also, like, yeah, the, the K.K. Downing kind of vibe of the, the, the harmonics sure. you know, as the yeah. notes or whatever. And he does some, you'll hear later on the record, he does a lot of stuff with some really cool like pinch harmonic kind of stuff. The, the opening riff almost sounds like something that would have been on Ram It Down. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, and, and this... You know, they toured with them around that era, though, the Ram It Down Painkiller kind of era. Um, And you also hear, like, a lot of progressive qualities. I mean, that's one thing, you know, that I think he naturally does in there is he adds, like, progressive thrash kind of technical things Mm -hmm. in there without it, like, being awkward or, like, spotlight-driven. Like, hey, look at me, I'm doing something It's there because it it makes sense and it makes the song better. Yeah. (laughs) And you'll hear it especially in the midsection of the song where you get, like, kind of that classical style. Uh, mixing with like kind of shred, mixing with the new wave of British heavy metal, like twin melodies and different things. Mm-hmm. Like right around the one thirty mark, it kind of kicks in, and then we got Wicked Mystic. Uh, any uh, <laughs> any words for that? I wrote early Megadeth. That's what I hear is like way like even yeah, it's, even pre piece sells Megadeth. It's not so. like he's aping Megadeth riffs, but they're the approach to riffs. Mm-hmm. You know, which which Mustaine's always been a, a really great player and and songwriter to some degree, but I think uh, not as cohesive as. There's mm-hmm. a lot, but he's. I think he's very underrated as a songwriter as well. Yeah, just because the. I mean, how how complex the riffs are, and but not overly complex to where it's just like Steve Vai or something. It's like mm-hmm. it actually makes sense and propels a song, and it's it's brutal still. Yeah, yeah. It's not just technique. You yeah, know? it's 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 songwriting. It's not kind just of stuff. scales. Yeah. And I wrote for this song, Wicked Mystic. Uh, that this is kind of like the most straightforward of the songs on the record, but it's almost like a template for like the annihilator sound you know mm-hmm. it's it's the simplest of all the songs but yet like it's variations of this kind of style that make up well, for the most part this this record of house and hell mm-hmm. so and then burns like a buzzsaw blade which is a I, either, <laughs> burns like a buzzsaw blade. either you love that title or you think it's kind of uh on the retarded side but we've already talked about that with canadian uh titles and lyrics that they're it's not always their uh their fine point but well, Annihilator's a little more highfalutin, I guess, in terms of in comparison to like Anvil and you yeah, because uh, that, that, that was one thing that Waters brought up is that they they've never really been drawn to um, you know the occult mm-hmm. at all or uh, you know anything remotely satanic. It's always they've always been more on the the aggression side, sure. And so all this, especially at this era, he was you know uh, a pretty 
pretty diehard alcoholic. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of he said a lot of lyrics and stuff were just you're, he was just pissed off in mm-hmm. the first one, and they as as they progress throughout their career, they get a little bit more personal. But yeah. Well, there's even some things that we'll talk about later. Some uh, you know, like Legea and schizos and stuff like that that mm-hmm. are more. Uh, they're dealing with uh, more, I guess, like later day Metallica themes, you know, like Human Mind and, and stuff like that, oh, yeah. which is a little deeper Sepultura than type Anvil stuff. and stuff like that. So. Oh, real quick before we go to the the set, uh, the list or the new uh, the three slower songs on the set. Uh-huh. Allison Hell, based on a true story oh, yeah, of a uh, a young girl who uh, told her parents that the boogeyman was visiting her at night, and uh, the 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 pleads went up on deaf ears and the parents, and eventually she fell into the, the, the grips of insanity because of this. So I don't know how, how true this is because this is also around the time of Dream Warriors. Yes. And uh, a lot of Nightmare on Elm Street kind of vibes. Again, to going it, back to George to the, Lynch. To the videos. So. <laughs> you can never escape him on Requiem Metal Podcast. So yeah, if you, if you watch the video, there's a little crawl in, in the beginning. It says, this is based on a true story of Alice. And some people... I think the cover is pretty hilarious and cool in its own, like kind of. Well, and you've way. got the you've got this teddy bear that's standing. Yeah, like, the evil doll, you know. <laughs> this really looming shadow coming down, and it's a mix of everything's painted on it except for the girl, which yeah. is kind of weird. It's a photograph superimposed over. It reminds me of something like King Diamond would have done. Oh, it totally does. Yeah. You know, so, which you know, <laughs> you can't go wrong with the king. Yeah. So, but uh, all right, so let's get back to some music. We got WYTD, Welcome to Your Death, Wicked Mystic, and Burns Like a Buzzsaw Blade.
That's Burns Like a Buzzsaw Blade, Wicked Mystic, and WYTD. So, uh, yeah. So we're uh, we're moving along through this, and now we're we're to my favorite part of the record, I guess. And I don't know. Word do you, salad. Do you, uh, <laughs> Word salad is one of my favorite songs, actually. It's it's, it's one of the worst there. song titles. It on, is. On the record, it is. But. I think this song and uh, maybe Human Insecticide might be my two favorite songs on the record. But okay. Do you have a a preference after having listened to this so much? Or well, Alison Hell, of course. But then uh, Human Insecticide. I would think even Burns Like a Buzzsaw Blade is pretty. That that and the um, Schizos. Oh, schizos. Part one and two is yeah, pretty, pretty sweet. Pretty half, first half is kind of an instrument. Yeah, I mean, really, it is mostly an instrumental. It's just, it just reminds me of like uh, "To Live Is to Die" or something from Metallica. I think the only lyrics Sped in it are just uh, schizo. schizo. We're never alone. Never alone. Yeah, which is a cool title. Yeah, really. I mean, that's a that's it's a great concept when you really think about what that, <laughs> that song title kind of means. But uh, yeah, the 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 next trio of songs uh, increase the the pace, I guess, or at least increase the complexity, you know, because like Wicked Mystic and Burns Like a Buzzsaw Blade are pretty straightforward tunes, you know, mm-hmm. which is, is cool and that fits the style for Randy Rampage in, in terms of like, you know, the hardcore kind of like straightforward kind of style that, that you know, he brings to the table yeah. vocally. You he's, know? he's a pretty interesting showman too in the video. Is he? Yeah. I, I think he's kind of an egomaniac to some degree. And he's well, it's called Randy Rampage. Yeah, you know, well, which sounds like the wrestler had, from had, uh, ridiculous names, Mickey but, Rourke. Yeah. yeah, I think he's especially you go to his website now and stuff, and I think he's he's really or he's kind of his his, his entire image is based on past glories. Yeah, kind yeah. of thing. But I, I I really dig the dude. I think it's cool to jump from a really seminal you know hardcore punk band to a really seminal thrash band. thrash band. Yeah, and then he's doing some other stuff now that I, you know not gonna. Yeah. pretend that I enjoy but yeah I, I enjoy the guy but he's also I think a bit of a uh, an egomaniac to some degree is he, what kind of stuff is he doing like hair metal kind of stuff or, I, or? by the looks of it I would say yes but yeah. it's probably not okay yeah, it's probably just like mid-paced kind of heavy metal stuff or something heavy metal Teutonic Teutonic metal maybe <laughs> yes but uh, yeah, word salad. There's a lot going on in this this next tune here that uh, that I I've kind of wrote down. I don't know what your thoughts were, but I, I thought it had a, a pretty testament like opening. You know, again, this mixed bag of thrash bands that are kind of come to the table. Um, and one thing is that that we haven't mentioned is how awesome uh, of a bass player uh, Waters is. You know, yeah, I mean, he writes all the bass riffs on this whole record, and there's mm-hmm. a really like heavy presence of bass, which sometimes can get buried on thrash metal records. That's uh, not depending at all. on who it I is. Mean, yeah, there's it's it's definitely and it's all hand fingered as well. It's mm-hmm. got that that vibe to it. Very, um, oh, what's the dude's name from Steve DiGiorgio? Yeah, it's got that kind of vibe, or even to some degree like a, a Steve what, Harris. Yeah, or even like some of the stuff Cliff did, like in Master of Puppets yeah. kind of era. You yeah, know? no, like real galloping, but it's like filling in it, musically. I mean, or sonically, it kind of fills in in the gaps too. Mm-hmm. It's not just you know going along with a with a drum beat all the time. And I think that allows Waters guitar wise to be a little bit more technical, you know, mm-hmm. to be able to like play with notes a lot more because he doesn't have to like like keep the groove necessarily always because the mm-hmm. bass is able to like kind of fill in some of those well and the rhythm guitar is basically just just palm muted stuff constantly yeah. which you know and and i don't think we mentioned he actually produced and recorded the record as well yeah well, i mean the guy's kind of a you know a, a hell of a <laughs> yeah. i mean it's it's all him basically yeah. you know and even the demos that are on the reissue of a ballast and hell sound fantastic because it's him singing over it and he's doing almost like death, death metal, metal vocals, vocals yeah which is, which cool. is kind of funny but. yeah 
So I just want to, the, the, in particular on Word Salad, I hear a lot of the, the, the sort of bass. It gives it a lot of more, I guess, groove pulses and, and warms the album up so that it's not like a cold Steve Vai or, or you know, and I don't want to knock on Vai and Satriani. They've never really been my cup of tea. I know their place in metal, but I guess I've never, you know, like George Lynch is as far as I take it in terms of like the sort of masturbatory kind of, well, guitar playing in that sort of level you yeah know? i think and, i mean lynch is more of a, a lead player i don't know if he's much of a songwriter no i don't think exactly. he wrote a whole lot of the stuff in docking did he i mean like himself i think not was, singularly no yeah. i think it was a combo of don and, and pilsen and, and them but yeah but you know in, in terms of like like some of those that are those records that are like so you know technical focus they they often lack that kind of life force and i think mm-hmm. the bass gives it a lot of warmth and, and life force on this record uh but there's a lot of killer leads here too um and really the i think a song like this kind of puts him in the upper echelon of like kind of the alex skolniak's of thrash you know in terms of you know what he's able to do with a lot of the the he's he's almost more melodic than some some of the uh the solo players in thrash yeah, he's, but he I also mean, he's throws a, in pinch harmonics a lot in this song yeah he's he's a, a mix between like a, of a shredder and then like a really thoughtful mm-hmm. solo player as yeah. well and there's even these I, I i did a lot of you know reading and stuff and a lot of people can hear um influence from this song on players like a, like even in the mid 90s like a dime bag in terms of how he uses some of the pinch stuff. Yeah. You yeah. know, and, and the harmonics and things. So. Oh, funny thing, they toured with Pantera as well. Yeah, that's funny. It might have uh, been, they actually, I think I've read that. I don't know if he was in Europe or not. He was probably on the Far Beyond Driven era. Yeah, which probably. I wouldn't even be able to tell you what Annihilator record that was for. You know, they're like Anvil. They have just all these, like, almost anonymous records that follow well, Never Never The funny Land. thing is they're at 13 records as well. Are they really? <laughs> wow. And they made it there quicker than Anvil. And actually, the, the newest one, Total Annihilation, it's more like, starts out, it sounds like Arch Enemy. I mean, it starts out yeah. really strong, and then it's a little bit. It kind of dwindles. The vo- vocally is. I'm not really. There's happy some. With it. Uh, there's. They're. They're almost like. And I know this might sound odd to you, but they almost remind me of like Fear Factory more now in terms of like the style of like groove riffs that they write, like a Fear Factory Pantera kind of thing. But yeah, I can see that to to some you know, degree. I mean, it's like almost like he's he's like streamlined it or moderned up the sound a little bit, and mm-hmm. you know, you know, an Arch Enemy and, and is kind of part of that sort of like modern kind of sound of that modern metal that's popular with kids these days that's I mean Arch Enemy is basically kind of stuff. Almost just thrash with, you know, death metal vocals. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But uh yeah, I don't know the the only only other thing I want to say about this song is um I wrote down at the four twenty mark, this is like my favorite like solo, I think, of the whole record. Is uh it, it kinda kills me there. And you know, it was. I think I listened to the song like over and over again a few times today, and I wrote a song like this reminds me of why I love thrash metal. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just it. Just has everything I like about it. You know, well, is, it's is in this even song. even it's kind of refreshing to have this and even that Ghost record, the mm-hmm. Opus Eponymous that came out recently. It's about it's under the forty minute mark, which mm-hmm. is kind of refreshing to hear a record that's not. You know, be, I think between like nineteen ninety seven and. You know, 2005 records are almost all between like 60 to 74 minutes. Yeah, and that it just you don't need that much. I don't sure, think. I mean, there's very few bands that like make me want to listen that long. Yeah, know? and especially repeatedly. And yeah. uh, it was nice to actually like it kind of I had a little bit of nostalgia going back to when I'd have a tape and have to flip it over five or six yeah, times. Yeah, and you can listen to this like almost twice all the way through in an hour. You know, which is pretty yeah. sweet. Yeah. You know? So, and then we get the uh, the aforementioned instrumental, which we kind of talked about, which is Schizos Are Never Alone, Part One and two 
and uh, there's there's kind of like a drop down in the middle of the song where it gets quiet for a second, and that's really the the uh, break. That's the but, part two. Yeah, but but I, that, that's the only way I've been able to interpret it. And uh, you know, you've got it almost reminds me of like Wake Up Dead from from Megadeth, which is almost like three minutes of like instrumental, and then like at the very end, Dave Mustaine starts singing at the end. Yeah, I don't necessarily know why. Unless it was just something they wanted to do purely thematically to have a two-part song. But it's basically the same song. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't even... I mean, because it's track seven, so it wouldn't even be like a, a side break or anything no. on an album. So it's so just kind of... None of it makes sense. It's just kind of He weird. probably just had this really sweet <laughs> sweet riffs and, and stuff yeah. like that. And then, uh, you know, I, I like the whisper, the schizos, you know, like... Yeah. And then the, the almost like dive bomb that he does, like the... Wee! Well, and you all know. the you can tell that this is all kind of a singular vision of one guy, just because even like you know going back to Alice in Hell, how the uh, even before some of the vocal lines, it's almost it's mirrored or like um, uh, what, what the hell do they call it? It's like the coda or whatever. You yeah. hear it before it comes in vocally, and uh, this stuff stands up so well without even if you could take the, the vocals off, it'd be an unbelievable like fucking champs record. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So. This is a, the great example that I wrote. It's like a one of the eight minute Metallica instrumentals sped up or something like yeah. that. You know, it's got yeah. it's got all the stuff that you need, but it's like a lot quicker punch. You know, and then Legea, uh, which is what we're going to end with, um, which is a Edgar Allan Poe riff uh, or not a riff, uh, Edgar <laughs> Allan Poe uh, uh, story uh, okay. uh, about you know, I think loneliness, isolation, you know, the stuff that Poe always wrote about. Yeah, but uh, I used to be a big Poe fan in you know, junior high. Yeah, I liked Poe. I think I read him yeah early high school or something and. You know, now it's just the Vincent Price movies that keep keep that flame alive. <laughs> but a lot of Exodus, a lot of German thrash, uh, oh, a lot yeah. of overkill things kind of going on in this song. Uh, it's got that nastiness, that that the sort of New York kind of thing that Overkill always had, and that the creator and those bands kind of had that the dirtiness to it. You know, uh, but it's a little tighter. You know, mm-hmm. um, what uh, would would thoughts did you have on Legea? Uh, I'm drawing a blank on that one oh, right now. Okay. Well, you know, maybe uh, we'll we'll listen to it, and maybe you have a, a couple thoughts when we come back. But yeah, really, the, uh, the there's a lot of cool things in the bridge part of the song between the guitar and the bass. There's like a lot of intertwining that's happening. I think this is one of Randy's uh, highlights uh, in terms of his vocals. I, I like this quite a bit. And then the shred licks after the chorus. That's that's you know priceless. This is probably my third favorite song on the record after Insecticide and Word Salad. But uh, a lot of cool solos. Uh, very Slayer-esque solos, but like a little cleaner. You know, if there was like a little polish to a Slayer solo, that's what. The, yeah, not the so many so much dive bombing. Yeah, exactly, kind of exactly. So, but uh, enjoy. See, my notes are such oh. a, a mess that I was trying to figure out, find out if I have anything, uh-huh. and I just have like in a box lots of riffs. So, <laughs> yeah. I, like this riff has. <laughs> You know, song every song has you know a, a shit ton of riffs on it, yeah. but it's not it's not to the point of where it's just like show off. Yeah, and I, I think that's almost like the the go to statement on this record is like yep. it's, it's one of those few, perfect balance. Yeah, it's one of those few instances where you actually got like this guitar hero guy that uh, can write really good songs mm-hmm. and show off a little bit, but it all makes sense. And it still has that under underlying thrash like mm-hmm. in your face kind of thing to it, which you know sometimes get sacrificed if you're trying to do too much like noodling or thing you know something. yeah that is kind of I, I can't think of a whole lot of records that really embody that kind of like ferocity and and still have that kind of like the, the thoughtfulness or the mm-hmm. you know the, the really technical sure. side as well yeah all right so enjoy uh word salad schizos are never alone and legea i hope i'm pronouncing that right legea probably maybe possibly if not uh somebody correct yeah exactly it's latin probably
Gaya, schizos are never alone, and word salad—the the title of the best, best, <laughs> best subtitle of the year. That's over there. A heat sink from uh, yeah. from Anvil in terms of like greatest Canadian. The word song salad title. sounds like a like a shitty word puzzle book that you'd see at the checkout at the grocery store. Yeah, yeah. Oh, word salad, sweet. Or like some somebody cool. that was listening to a lot of like Black Sabbath, Paranoid. They're like, oh, Rat Salad. That's one of my favorite songs. What could I do with that? Ah, oh, word salad. But uh, yeah, Legea, we were uh, we were just kind of rocking out to there, and um, 
you know, definitely you were talking about the type of speed picking that, that he does and that he's playing all like down the rips. down picking. Yeah. Like I guess Metallica is really not well known for that as well. That to get that heavy, really chunk yeah, sound, but it's like you unbelievably, you know, it gets, I mean, as the album escalates, it's just so fast. It's, yeah, yeah. it's kind of retarded, but, but it's not just pure blinding speed. There's actually like fairly thoughtful, like breakdowns too. Mm-hmm. And as I was, I was running a couple notes down and, uh, I mean, the, there's definitely lots of like overkillisms mm-hmm. to that as well, but also almost like uh, Pig Destroyer as far as like the riffs. Mm-hmm. Like there's so many great riffs in the song. You could build, you know, you could build an entire album on one one you know basically one song worth of riffs on this record. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, that's weird that I hadn't made that distinction between. That's kind of what Pig Destroyer really does is they're you know just kind of taking those riffs and, and merging yeah. them together, but. Yeah, they're playing like longer versions of like several Pig Destroyer songs, kind of like merged together or something. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it has that same kind of like you know eye for for mm-hmm. good riffs and the punk bass lines too are pretty unbelievable. Yeah, I was saying I was commenting about how the the guitar and the bass were really working together in that Legea song so well. Mm-hmm. You know, and you, you definitely hear it. You know, a lot of Steve Harris kind of stuff and mixed with like kind of the you, you even mentioned like the punk kind of style that Harris did on like Killers and, mm-hmm. and the first Iron Maiden. Yeah, you know? one of one of the good riffs on, on the Ligia song. I mean sounds like yeah, it sounds like it would have been on Killers. But also there's like a riff that sounds like it would have been on the first Vader record. Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, we totally pointed that out. That's and I never think of Vader when I'm listening to stuff. You know, Vader's ah, such a left field. Yeah, everybody should band. always think of Vader at least yeah. once a week. Once a week. I know and we love Vader here, you know. But uh, the the album the album closes with kind of uh, the masterpiece uh, for uh, well, I mean, all the songs are, are kind of masterpieces in their own way, but this might be my favorite song. I don't know where where you stand with that. I know it's it's close. I mean, it's it's one of those kind of closing songs that it's not like an epic song, but it's a song that makes you want to turn the record back on again. Yeah. and listen to the whole thing again. This is kind of their angel of death or something. You yeah, know, it's like they're just like you know explosion of speed and, and energy and speed picking and all these things. You know, it's yeah, the there's like almost, the I think there's like four distinct times where they there's like this whammy bar thing where it goes oh almost to like catch your breath to get back into yeah, it. Again, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Which almost you you point out how old like Black Sabbath kind of drone feel yeah to it it almost or like yeah like a Sabbath riff as they're you know doing that little whammy yeah thing which is cool so and he you know you definitely said he's inspired by classic rock and classic metal so it's not just that he's you know poning off of uh you know Overkill and, and Metallica and Megadeth in terms yeah. of his influences and stuff so and it almost seems like a, I don't know if this is like a sign of like a somebody that really studies music but it's it never sounds like he's ripping off somebody's riffs mm-hmm. but he's like he's he's gleaning some of like the the approach to how they write riffs yeah or how they construct songs so it's yeah. a really weird <laughs> it's not like because pig destroyer has the same kind of thing to where it's you, like you feel like you've heard, man, this, I've heard you've heard all the riffs. these riffs but you can never place exactly yeah. where they come from yeah yeah that's that's a good way of putting it so but human insecticide which is uh one of the coolest uh coolest choruses for sure on the record and which would have wouldn't it just be human side Human side, humanicide, yeah. humanicide, yeah. I <laughs> but guess. human insecticide sounds cooler. It sounds Canadian. <laughs> it sounds like a you know definitely a Canadian approach. Well, it's like something I would have come up with when I was like seventeen. Yeah. Oh, that sounds cool. Oh yeah, that sounds. Yeah. Man, the, you're like human insecticide. And it's dude. funny after I heard you know after I finally finished listening to this record today and writing notes and stuff, I wrote and put a little circle around that this album is very youthful. There's there's yeah. something there's an exuberance to it and it's a you know enthusiasm and I mean these guys well the the whole record was was wrote and recorded before they had a record deal mm-hmm. so I mean they're doing it for the love of the music as well yeah, which I keeping think these songs preserved most you know? metal is yeah. yeah nobody really gets rich unless you're like Metallica you know? yeah yeah 
but uh, you know, here you got the the Angel of Death kind of speed picking riff mixed with like Iron Maiden melodies, you know, kind of going on. Um, you know, very Exodus, very you know, even Anthrax, some of their like fastest like mosh kind of stuff. Oh, totally. You picked up on here. So and um, it, you know, it's a raining blood kind of riff, but but like kind of done um, cleaner, I guess. I don't know. Well, that's I don't know if this is something that. Well, I, I think all the everything's really clean and apparent. All the notes, there's not, not there's no muddiness at mm-hmm. all to this thing. And even when I was watching one of the the Gibson interviews with uh, with Jeff Waters, where it was like his you know his custom annihilator guitar or whatever, uh-huh. and the the way that the fretboard was set up, he he likes to have. Um, really clean, like where all the notes are, are heard. Uh-huh. He doesn't like any of the muddiness or whatever. I, I, that must have been a you know conscious decision on yeah, his part to, yeah. to kind of and, do and that. Plus, he produced it, so he definitely yeah. knew what he was trying to do. And then I, I also, and you and I talked about this. This is very uh, proto Gothenburg, you know. And we've brought up, oh, yeah. we've brought up Arch Enemy, and we've brought up Children of Bodom, but definitely that in flames. And I mean, a lot of like Jester Race, I can hear a lot of. Mm-hmm. That, these kind of riffs, you know, and you there. said that he uh, that Je- Jesper from from In Flames was very reverent towards Jeff. Yeah, Waters. and Waters was like, well, you know, they kind of like mutually bowing to one another because yeah. they're both they're almost on the same, I guess, level really. Yeah, in just different different crowds, but I mean, yeah, I mean, In Flames now is I guess a pretty big pretty act. big band. Yeah, 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 which is weird. You know, it's hard for me to them and Opeth. It's kind of weird to think that those bands are have gone to where they are today. You know. Oh yeah. Speaking of Opeth, Ackerfeld made it. Number nine on the hundred best guitarist list. Oh, did he? Which I don't think I agree with, but you know, that's what lists are for—to to spark yeah, discussion. To, to just, I don't know. I I like. I'm a I'm a Ackerfeld fan, but he's good, but he's not one of he's not one out of all greatest metal guitarists ever. Yeah. I mean, but see, I wouldn't put Zach Wild top five either. You know, I mean, there's no. A lot I would of, say if you had, uh, if you, I'd have like these little like sidebars that said like best use of pinch harmonics. Yeah, exactly. Zach Wild. Zach Wild's a pinch harmonic <laughs> connoisseur. Yeah, well, yeah watch him play any Aussie stuff live, and it's just kind of retarded. So, okay, <laughs> always every on, note. Always on Metal Mania, they what? have that Bark at the Moon live uh, version. He's just like yeah. har- pinch harmonicing everything. And he's sloppy too, which I kind of like as, yeah, as a player. Yeah. He's just he's exuberant. That's the other thing, you know. I mean, I think if you're going to do a list like that, you've got to have these different. <laughs> categories and maybe not have it be like a hundred that are all related to each other but but maybe 10 top 10 lists you know mm-hmm. top 10 like punk uh you know style guitarists top 10 thrash guys you know yeah and i don't know if, if the way the book is broken up if, if there's just like a justification of this choice sure. for each or whatever you know, but because i think Ackerfeld, if you're talking about like encapsulating all these different styles and like melodies and stuff like that i mean he's up there you know but yeah. he's not like He's not the flashiest guy, and he's not the most technical guy, and he's not writing the most. In, <laughs> but it goes Ackerfeld and then Hetfield. Yeah, just, you know. Yeah, okay. But I mean, Hetfield's more of a rhythm player too, so it's like you know he's a great yeah, rhythm but he's a guitarist as well. Yeah, you know. So but Hammett was from, like the guy who was always known for the leads, but at the same time, like you know, Hetfield. I don't like think he can write a song out of a bag. No, I don't think he can either. <laughs> so again, that's what I mean. How do you how do you determine it? Is yeah. it technique based? Is it you know what what's your? So I guess as a your, as a conversation starter, lists are a great idea. Yeah. But otherwise, they're they're utterly. Fe- Sure. And uh, and we of course are, are and we'll great, have a list here pretty soon. Great kind of series of lists, you know. So, but uh, human sex side, it's a it's a good way to sort of close things out on our, our Hall of Fame Canadian Metal Part Two uh, show. And uh, we're definitely going to get into the more extreme side of Canadian metal uh, coming up soon, and, and kind of the the other side of Canada that Canada, I guess, is known for the darker side, the, the dark side, side of Canada. Yeah, yeah, the sci-fi uh, tech 
side or something, whatever you want. Well, to call and if you, and I think if you enjoyed what you heard of Allison Hell, go out and buy the two from the vault. Yeah, not to make us money, but to to put a couple bucks in Water's pocket sure. to this guy's, uh, to keep putting. He's on a music. metal warrior, man. He's been yeah. been doing he's this. living the dream. Yeah, been doing this for a long time. So let us know what you thought. Maybe uh, maybe you're new to Annihilator, so let us know if you uh, if you kind of thought the same thing we did when we first heard this not too long ago. Which is wow, <laughs> where'd yeah. this come from? <laughs> you know. And uh, been all my life. yeah, and if you're an old school Annihilator fan, which I know like, you know, Rishi and some of our kind of longtime listeners are, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just hopefully maybe we nailed the record in, in the same way that, that you like it or, or maybe not. So give us some feedback. Shoot us an email at requiempodcast at gmail.com. Check us out on Facebook, uh, Mark and Jason, or uh, check us out on the website. You know what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually put a link to our Facebook page on the website because yeah. I noticed it's not there. There you go. That would be wise. But uh, even know, though we have like a jillion fans now, like I get like 50 yeah requests a day but which is cool i just don't know if but since we have all the if you guys really appreciate the show that much you know it would be really be great keeping in with the holiday christmas holiday season yeah would you know throw us whatever you feel you know the the virtual tip jar that we have on the site to help because our actually our hosting bill will be coming up in the next month or so and uh anything we've we've gotten many generous donations from people but uh every little bit helps so if you'd like to see see the show keep on going and make us that much more enthusiastic to keep doing it uh, which we do it because we love it, but all these extra costs start to add up too. So See, I would like out. to buy that sacrifice record so we could have done a proper show. The thing costs thirty five dollars. Well, know, and that's so. the thing with every time we were like do research for one of these shows, even though I can't afford it, I end up buying two or three <laughs> records or filling out an entire back catalog yeah. of whatever. So it's uh, and two, uh, the we have some 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 great gift ideas as well. We've got the, the we mug, have an the iPhone t-shirt. four case right now too. If you're uh, if you just buy an iPhone four and you can't find a great case. Go to uh, requiempodcast.com and click on the merchandise link, yeah. and we have a fantastic-looking Baphomet iPhone case. And Didn't you say we got a travel coffee mug thing, Travel too? coffee mugs as well. For, for those of you that commute in the morning, like yeah. myself, and drink your coffee. Exactly. So, uh, show your Requiem Metal pride, I guess. Or t-shirts as well. I saw a friend of, uh, friend of mine on another podcast actually uh, was sporting. It was a family vacation picture, and he had his Requiem Metal podcast shirt holding his daughter. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah. And then, uh, you know, then, then when you come to the uh, Maryland metal fest those of you that are american you mm-hmm. know fans you guys can one day we'll, we'll maybe say friday or, or saturday will be have requiem a, a metal meetup yeah we'll have a uh we'll, we'll buy we'll buy a round of drinks or something so yeah depending on how many people are there yeah exactly so donate today if you want to make that happen <laughs> yeah exactly so enjoy uh enjoy human insecticide from alice and hell we hope you uh, appreciate this record as much as we did and uh we'll be back soon with some more canadian tomfoolery so uh for uh for annihilator i'm jason and i'm mark <laughs>